Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. All right, everybody, we are back now with Clay still. He's still with us, um, so that's a good sign. Mark and I haven't completely driven him mad yet, but... And, and actually, Mark and I get to show off our bows. If you're watching on uh, on video right now, we have them here. They've they've dried from their spar urethane treatment. We've given them a couple of coatings. We'll probably end up giving them more when we get back home. But uh, this is kind of how they've turned out. And Clay has been helping us, attempting to help us learn how to shoot these things. Because there's there's just a lot of unique little oddities and quirks to shooting a traditional bow and doing it well. And... You know, I think uh, I think it's one of those things that nobody can really ever say that they've perfectly mastered, like many things on Earth. At least, hopefully, that would make me feel a little bit better if 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 that were the case. But um, what's the fun in completely mastering it, Jim? That's right. That's right. Then the challenge is gone. You got to find something else. But the challenge, I would say, certainly is not gone even uh, even for Clay because we've gone out and we've we were stump shooting a lot today. We were we were tuning bows. That's something we got to talk about today. We did a little stump shooting. We'll explain what that is. And uh, a lot of learning along the way about form and and even just the arrows themselves, all kinds of stuff. And then and also maybe how we would wind up using them in a hunting setting. Clay's explained a lot of that because he's used these bows in tons of different hunts. And so, yeah, Clay, maybe I guess where we'd start here. What is unique to shooting a traditional bow versus a, uh, versus a I guess, compound has almost become like the new traditional in some ways because everybody's using it well a compound has a lot of different features on it that are designed to reduce variability and basically take you as much as possible out of the shot Uh, a traditional bow doesn't have any of that stuff and so you have to rely on yourself to make you know every part of the shot from drawing the bow to uh, making sure you're at the same draw length every time making sure everything's aligned aiming everything it's uh it's very, very, there's a lot of uh, overlap as far as like form and things go. Um, okay. The fundamentals of archery are the same, uh, but there's also, you know, a lot of differences as well. I think we've, uh, I think we've pinpointed the problem, Jim. I'm too involved in the shot. There's too much me. <laughs> if, if only we could take it out. Well, then we'll just be right back to where you are with the bow that you normally shoot, which is your compound. But, uh, Mark, you've shot a lot of compound. I've never shot a compound bow in my life, so I can't even necessarily speak to that. But you'll be our, you'll be our go-to guy to speak to that. But, you know, obviously when you're shooting a traditional bow, there's no, you don't have a peep sight on the string. You don't have pins. You don't have any of that sort of thing. So I think a lot of people probably zoom in on that right away. They're like, they kind of forget all the other stuff they have to do with the trap bow. You know, it's, it's like, well, first off, how am I going to aim the thing? Clay, maybe you can explain that for us. Too, but then there's also just how you have to hold it, how you have to draw it. What do you tell somebody? What do most people ask you first? Is it usually how am I going to end the thing or is it how do I hold the thing and draw it back? Well, I don't know. There, a lot of people have questions about aiming because it's not, you know, with a compound, it's it's easy to understand. You know, you have, if they, they've shot a gun before, so they have a front sight, they have rear sights, they understand how those things line up um, and help you hit a target. And it's the same with the compound. Your rear sights, your peep, and your front sights, your pin, line them up, and the arrow goes to the target. With a traditional bow, obviously, you don't have those things. And so people have questions about aiming. But it's really, it's not any different. Your sights are just not as readily uh, apparent. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, the, there's a couple of different ways or a couple of different schools on how to shoot these bows. You have the, the kind of instinctive crowd and that's what when it comes to traditional archery that's what most people uh, who aren't into traditional archery are familiar with because that's probably what they've heard it described as throwing a baseball and you made that reference earlier while we were out in the field Uh, you don't have to know the yardage to uh, your receiver to throw him a football Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of that instinctive style of shooting where you don't really you don't have any conscious reference points. You don't have any aiming aids. And through repetition, you can get a feel for, it's really, you're you're using your sight picture. So if you think about when you draw a compound bow and shoot, you kind of get a feel for how that looks, you know, at a distance. And if you're, if you're shooting a single pin compound, uh, that's an even better analogy because 
like your pin might not be exactly on what you want to hit. Maybe you're raising it a little above or a little below. So those are, those are all sight pictures. And so with instinctive shooting, you know, you just get a feel for how that shot feels to you and let it rip. I shot that way for a long time, a long time, like 10 years and never was able to develop a level of consistency that I was happy with. Uh, I would go through these big swings in my shooting. So I would have some, sometimes when I would really be like on, uh, and then I'd have some times where it was like, you know, I couldn't hit a hay bale at 10 yards. And Mm -hmm. it's when you go through those time, those types of swings, it's maddening. (laughs) And, And so, you know, I eventually got to the point where I, I wanted to find a more, for me, I wanted to find a more consistent way of shooting. And so I started paying attention to how to aim these bows. And so with the type of aiming that I use, I describe it as something called gap shooting. But the type of shooting that I really do is kind of a hybrid between gap shooting and instinctive. So in pure gap shooting, you're using, you're basically using your arrow's tip in the same way that you would use a pin on a compound, on a single pin compound. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're using that, like I said earlier, you know, with a single pin compound, you may not be exactly on what you want to hit. You may be a little above or a little below. And so you have a gap with that compound pin. It's the same way with the, the arrow's point. You just, the gap's just bigger, right? Because it's not in your line of sight. Okay. It's a little bit below. And so to hit the target uh, using that method, you would just place your tip somewhere below the target depend and, and how far below is going to depend on your distance from the target. And I have videos on my YouTube channel that, that like break that down and I give visual, I show how, what that looks like. And so it can, it can help uh, people to understand exactly what I'm talking about. The gap sort of thing that you talked about there. Well, first off, I think it's the one, the one thing you brought up at some point is that instinctual shooting it still is relying on that sight picture. It's not necessarily as though you couldn't shoot in the dark, I think you said, at a laser pointer pointing at the wall instinctively. You'd have to have some frame of reference. So even, it's just just not necessarily conscious to that shooter. They've done it so many times through repetition, whatever, that they just sort of know what that has to look like and what they have to do. And then... That's That's the big difference between... Uh, instinctive shooting and the, the type of shooting that I do, which is what I call a split vision type mm-hmm. of shooting. I'm conscious of my arrow's point in relation to that target. So if someone who shoots instinctively would be, although they're still using the sight picture, they're doing it subconsciously. They're not conscious, consciously using their arrow tip to aim that. Okay. Button. Got it. And so the, just to further explain what the difference between gap shooting like gap, you know, at 20 yards, you have a, whatever your gap is, say, let's say 15 inches. So at 20 yards, you're, you would put your arrows point 15 inches below what you want to hit. Mm-hmm. With split vision shooting, I'm not like the, the exact number of inches below doesn't matter to me. I'm using that sight picture. And when I draw back at a specific distance, like I know just what it looks like. Sure. And so the gap itself becomes somewhat instinctive, but I'm still aware of my arrow's tip. I still use that to line up my left and right. Okay. Got it. And you're focusing on the target. Yes. So you're not focusing on the arrow. Yeah. You're not looking at your arrow. You're just aware of it in your peripheral vision. It becomes kind of like a, uh, it's reminiscent of a red dot in some ways. If you use a red dot on a carbine or on a pistol, those are specifically made that a shooter would be able to focus on the target and not on their reticle which is one of the drawbacks to like old school iron sights. It's, it's funny how in, in a way there with red dots, we've advanced in order to get to a traditional style in, in some ways or a more intuitive style of aiming that the human wants to use. Whereas irons, everybody's always talking about focus on the front sight, front sight, front sight. And so the picture's blurred out or you're trying to switch between three different planes. I was thinking earlier on that that, uh, that parallel was a bit odd. Yeah. Yeah, Clay, tell me, so... What you describe with that split vision really seems to me like what I was experiencing out there, at least attempting to try and do. And uh, when I was uh, shooting, like probably like at ten yards, I feel like I was about you know, like ten to fifteen inches below the target. About thirty yards, I was point on, mm-hmm. and then above that, 
I was really like sometimes I'd try and pick a point for those longer shots, but also it's kind of like you know Jim's football analogy. It's kind of like I don't know. This just feels right. Yeah. <laughs> and when you start stretching out like you know those those eighty and hundred yard shots, you know I you don't shoot that enough to know really where you should be holding. So you just you just pick out something up there that kind of looks right and let her let her rip. But if you if you take a shot like that, let's say you were shooting at 80 yards, mm-hmm. you pick out something, some frame of reference, maybe the halfway up a pine tree, behind, way behind the target. You make that shot, and let's say you're you're short. Well, if you remember where you picked, well, you just pick a higher point the next time, yeah. and you can you can actually walk arrows into the target. Uh, and I think it was two or three years ago, I did a video that you can find on my website where I was shooting. I shot a 3D deer target at 100 yards, and I put two out of three arrows in the target. And then I was shooting at 80 yards, and I think I put th- all three of them in the target. Wow! Shoot. Just because I, you know, I had to, I had to uh, when I was shooting at 100, I had to walk those arrows in. I think I shot one arrow that was short. I shot one that was a little closer, and the third one hit it. And then on the next one, I I put all of them in there because I had my point. I had I knew where I was supposed to be holding my bow. Yeah. And so, like you were bringing up, Mark, the, and, and you alluded to earlier, Clay, the gap, so to speak, in this case, for your arrow between the target, that changes. And so, you end up with, it's kind of, I always had, like, I keep bringing things back to rifle scopes and whatnot, because that's what I'm so familiar with in shooting, but it's a little bit of that sort of sight over bore mm-hmm. kind of height thing that you're dealing with, and uh, when you're basically point blank on a target, you would just put the point right on the target. It's it's a no-brainer, right? That point's going to go right there. As you move back, that's where the gap becomes wider and wider going down, and then there's a certain point where it starts to come back up until it's point on again. Yep. And you said for your bow, I think that was somewhere between like 35 and 40 yards or so? Yeah, it depends on the arrows, the you know the weight of the arrows. It depends oh, right, on the bow okay. and arrow combination. And I can't remember... It's it's been a little while since I shot this bow and arrow combination, but I want to say like when you find your point on and you're shooting well, you, like you know exactly it's like 42 yards or 38 yards or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And that, like you said, so that's arrow dependent. Yep. Mm-hmm. Kind of. So you you do you ever shoot out of your one bow? Do you find yourself then shooting different arrow setups that have different point on distances, or if I shoot. I mean, I try to make all my arrows pretty close to the same weight. I mean, they'll be right around 640 grains total weight. And so it's it, it's usually pretty pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got it. So there's not like maybe you're going to go on a different hunt, so you're going to swap to no. a completely different arrow. Like maybe somebody would swap to a completely different bullet out of a gun for something. Oh, you know. sure. But, okay, got it. What about, um, what about grip? We talked a little bit about grip, and you were showing me some things. Like, what do you like? How are you shooting your bow? How do you like your hand position? What you know, pressure points, things like that. Yeah. So when I hold my bow, very little of my hand is actually contacting the bow. I mean, basically, it's just the base of my thumb. My lower palm is not touching the bow at all. I mean, it's it's coming off my hands, uh, like coming off the bow at about a forty-five, like that. So if I hold my hand up. And I make a V with my forefinger and my thumb. That's that's about the uh, the angle that mm-hmm. I'm holding this bow. If it was straight up and down like that, and so when I draw that bow, it pushes all that all that pressure right at the base of my thumb, which lines up and shoots that pressure right up my arm, right through my shoulder, and if I have my alignment right, to my drawing elbow. Got it. Yeah, that's definitely something that I was having a little bit of trouble with was getting my alignment right. And you're really, I mean, you're using a lot of your bone structure there, aren't you? Yeah, that bone structure, you know, there's, there are people who can shoot uh, very well, like snap shooting and not, I mean, they don't, their their alignment, they don't have alignment. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, it's important, you know, to have that good alignment and use your skeletal structure. It's, it's easier for me to, to reach a level of consistency you know, versus just uh, snap shooting, you know, where you're coming back, hitting full draw and letting her rip. But, I mean, like I said, there's there's a, there's different people who shoot different ways, and, and some of them shoot really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then as far as, like, you know, wrapping your hand, you know, it's not like you're giving it, like, a death grip. Oh, I mean, no. you're really just, it's almost like your pointer finger is just 
almost just resting on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, I've shot with, uh, sometimes in competition shoots, you'll see guys with wrist slings on their bows okay. or finger slings. It's basically just a, a piece of uh, paracord that goes from this finger to this finger. And so they can shoot with a completely relaxed, open grip. Oh, and not drop the bow. Yeah. And I've, I've done that. I've experimented with that before. And it, I, I do shoot better with one because whenever you shoot your bow, it's an, you instinctively grab it. Yeah. And that, in, that introduces variability into mm-hmm. your shot. Every time you do that, you can't do it the exact same every single time. So yeah, very similar to, I found in, in practicing shooting is very similar to shooting a pistol like when we did the pistol training with those guys at Edge, mm-hmm. it's it's easy to draw your bow back, you've got it back, you're looking at it, and you're like, boy, that point looks really good right now. And yeah. then, you, and then you, you do something immediately right as the arrow is getting ready to release, and you change where it's pointed. And then it goes, yep. obviously, not where you wanted it to go. So I imagine, like you said, that, that instinctual squeezing motion, that whole hand kind of grab at the handle really messes you up. What about your your release with your string hand? What does that look like? Well, ideally, you want your shot to break cleanly without any inputs at all. Uh, you know, you can you can have you can spend a lot of effort setting things up. You know, you have good form, good alignment. Uh, you're on target, and if you can get your shot to break cleanly, then and let the bow do its job, your shots going to be good but the trick with traditional it, you don't have a release where you can oh, come apart. two-piece bow here that's intentional yeah designed that way it's designed that way you know with a compound you have that trigger you, you can slowly squeeze that thing until your shot breaks and and with traditional you don't have that and so a lot of times and this is something that i've struggled with forever is you anticipate you like like you said that everything's lined up and then you do something Right. And when you do something, you introduce this variability, and that might be grip in the bow, that might mm-hmm. be maybe a slight collapse or something like that. The trick is to do nothing and just let that shot execute. Gosh, I'm seeing more and more why Pete, one of our instructors at Edge, just always says he's like, the best people who come in and start shooting pistol are archers because they're so good at doing exactly that. There are there are some parallels. So... When you're getting that release, are you you're not are you just continuing to pull back on the string and then changing your finger angle so it just slips off, or what's going like what's happening when that string during that process? I guess I don't know that I could honestly I don't know that I could tell you exactly like what I do other than not hold anymore, not hold it. Okay, like sometimes you just gotta let go. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to let it go. You know, the biggest thing is to not collapse, not creep forward on that shot. And that's what so many people do is when it comes time to release, they, it's like an active, like a, like a flinch almost. Yeah. Um, and the trick is to not, not let that back tension to go, not creep forward, but to maintain that back tension. And when you have a good break in your release, your wrist will come straight back over like, and, and touch your shoulder. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is hard to explain what happens exactly there. But uh, on that, I mean, you've mentioned being aligned. You mentioned, you know, and, and you just brought up back tension. And I feel like after all the stump shooting that we've done today, I've got a little back tension going right now since I haven't shot these uh, at my trad bow in a while. But, you know, one thing I think that people underestimate is, is if you're moving over from compound bow... This is again something that I just I see is obviously you have that initial draw weight and then a compound bow with that, then you get it where it's nice and easy after the initial draw weight that you can pull it back and you can kinda of hang out there for a while. And you can get everything just right. One of the tough things with traditional bow is that it's heavy the whole time. And yeah, so there's no to, let off. You're trying to hold it back there and it starts adding up. If you hold it back long, you know, a long time, it'll start adding up. Then you start getting a little shakier, and, and you might have to draw down in order to sort of get yourself reset if you haven't been able to get it off just right. But that that makes it kind of tough. I know, Mark, you were, I think it was just a little bit of like a weird change at first for you because it seemed like, you know, you were trying to do the old compound bow thing where you give it a good heave, and then you're going to figure it out later. Right. 
instead well, of and having that's, a, And that's probably me just even, you know, compensating even when I shoot a compound, just knowing, hey, once I get it over that hump, I can kind of do whatever I do whatever I want, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, uh, you know, with this, I mean, honestly, I mean, it's probably a case of just being a little bit overbowed. Like, I don't think I've got these muscles, you know, developed enough. So that's something that I definitely want to work on. But, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, Jim. I mean, getting those back muscles engaged and that's what clay was you know trying to point out whether i ever got there but was that and then also another thing that's interesting that clay touched on earlier was you know on a compound you have that back wall mm-hmm. which this i mean i guess in some ways has a back wall but it's not like in a it's not a stop yeah like i have when i reach full draw it's almost like a, a wall on a compound because when i have when i have full draw and alignment I can feel that muscle underneath my shoulder blade like knotted up. And I kn- that's like almost part of my anchor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know that I'm at full draw and it's 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 locked in. Like it ro- it rotates around and like cams in and it's it's there. I'm not drawing any farther than that. Yeah. But once it takes a little while to to get the feel for 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 what that feels like cuz I can do it I can shoot a lightweight bow left-handed and I don't get that. Like, I don't know what that feels like because that muscle's not developed yet. Hmm. Now, does that happen with, uh, does your anchor point have anything to do with that as far as where your hand ends up, like on your face? I know a lot of people who shoot traditional bow, they talk about having a specific anchor point. Like it might be the, uh, some middle finger, first knuckle on the canine tooth. With me, I put like the first knuckle of my thumb just behind like my chin and underneath my ear. Does that have anything to do with that drawback point or is that all mostly in the back and that, that anchor point is a different thing? Well, yeah, I mean your anchor, like like for, for instance, my anchor point, I take my index finger and I put it right on the cheekbone right here. Okay. And then my the bowstring will come across my brow. So when I have those two points, it's it. I know that I'm at that same point. But I can I can reach that anchor point and not yet be aligned. Hmm. So okay. you can reach that anchor point just through wrenching that thing back with your bicep. But then it takes a, a rotation around your body to get that alignment. And then that's when that, that back muscle really gets engaged and I can feel it in my back. Yeah. I found that doing that too... The times where I would notice that I was missing to the side, like my distance might have been good, my hold on there might have been good, but I was missing to the side. There's a whole lot of reasons I'm sure that it could be going on. Um, But I found that one of the ways that I would sort of fix that was making sure that I wasn't just kind of getting to that anchor point and not getting fully aligned. And then also when I would get fully aligned, I found that I could get my my eye more directly over the arrow. Mm Mm-hmm. And before, if you're not quite fully aligned, your elbow's not fully back, and you're not locked in with that back tension, your eye is, at least mine, being a right-handed shooter, was a bit off to the left, kind of, of the arrow. It wasn't over the top, and mm-hmm. I had a feeling that I was kind of inducing some, some parallax error, basically, with that. And I was, I was aiming my left and right off of a, a different vantage yeah. point than the arrow was actually pointed. Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. What about Got it? Nailed what- it. <laughs> let's say uh purely hypothetical let's say you mostly shoot a compound bow pretty much all the time that's all you've ever shot so you're mark yeah and, but you <laughs> want to get a lot better you got a lot of room to get better with uh, a recurve or self bow is doing one gonna like mess with the other like oh, like are you question a- good question i don't i wouldn't think so I mean, like I said, the fundamentals, if you're shooting your compound the way that you, you should be, uh, the fundamentals are going to be the same. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, back tension, even with a compound bow, is, is important. It's probably less important because you have all these things to... to um, <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have another conversation. Going. We're, on, we're um, on a working horse ranch. Here. We are. We are. Um, you have all those things to kind of mitigate for for your your inputs into the shot Mm -hmm. um well imagine too like thinking about let off right like even though like i probably can get a lot better at using back tension with my compound but i imagine i need like less of not less of it but like less strength maybe even perhaps because you're holding less at full draw yeah it's definitely it's definitely a different set of muscles that you need to 
to to go through your entire draw on a on a recurve versus a compound because a, a compound like you the when when you first you're 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 improving but when you first started shooting this bow it's like you're drawing down mm-hmm. and I imagine that's the way you you draw your compounds you draw down and then you come up is that basically it or I mean I try with my bow like I think I got it set at 60 and I try like yeah probably a little I mean it's not like a crazy sky draw or anything but it's probably at just a little bit of an upward angle I try to get it back as straight as possible though but I don't think uh, you know back to the question I don't think that it's going to impede your progress uh, you know if you switch back and forth I, I think that you know, if you're serious about it, though, if you're serious about going traditional and, and uh, you know, really giving it your all, I think you ought to just make the commitment and go for it. Just go for it. If anything, it'll just make you continue to realize that living La Vida trad life is better. I was, ta- I was talking to my brother-in-law this morning. I'm like, dude, this amazing trip. We made these awesome bows. I'm like, and he's a big whitetail hunter. And he's like... uh I'm like, dude, I, th- I think I'm going to start hunting with this thing. He's like, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, you're hunting marginal public land at best. Now you're going to add a self-bow into the mix? I'm like, I'm still thinking about it. <sighs> we, we should do it, Mark. Now, uh, talking about, too, like getting getting used to the fundamentals of shooting with, with a bow in general, but also just some of the unique oddities of the traditional bow. We were doing some tuning of the bows when we first got them set up uh, and so we, we put our strings on these things and we were trying to figure out you've got this kit of different arrows that have different uh different spines to them different weighted tips yep. i was about to say heads for some reason uh anyway we were just going to run some of those different arrows through the bows and we we're going to see how they were performing how their flight looked through, through the air and i think we should talk about that a little bit but the, the one thing that you brought up towards the end is mark and i had just been sending endless amounts of arrows into a hay bale is <laughs> It's pretty difficult to get a bow really well tuned when you're still not totally sure exactly what you're doing shooting them. Because you got to have some level of consistency where you're only changing one variable. You know, that way you can see, okay, when I change the variable this much, this happened, and you know that it was the variable that changed that mm-hmm. downrange. And it wasn't, it wasn't that, oh, well, this time Jimmy didn't get full, fully aligned. You know, he kind of yep. stopped short. And so that was one of the difficult things. I think we got these things about as tuned as we could get them, but there's probably even as we continue to get better and better, we could probably get them tuned a little bit better just because we'll start getting more consistent. But I guess before we get into the tuning thing, I was going to ask, like, for somebody just starting to shoot traditional bow, is it best that, I mean, this goes for like any kind of bow to compound, whatever, is it best that they just kind of like pick one up and start shooting and try and figure stuff out, watch YouTube videos like yours, but just for the most part, just be shooting a lot? Or should they try and find somewhere to take a lesson, find someone who's more of a professional to look at their form and give them a few critiques? Because like, is it pretty easy to develop like bad habits over time that are just tough to get rid of? Yes, definitely. It's it's, it's very easy to develop bad habits. Um, and if you have the means to, uh, you know, take a professional lesson or, or something like that with somebody who really knows what they're talking about absolutely i mean you can cut your learning curve down uh, avoid some pitfalls and things like that and then i think the second best thing is to to get on youtube and, and watch some good videos but the big thing is just don't like there's so much information and, and you can you can dive deep into this don't get overwhelmed just get a bow go out shoot some arrows have fun and you know don't get frustrated that you will get frustrated, but try, you know, just, just go out and have fun and don't try to figure everything out before you start. You're never going to do that. Yeah. You know, you're going to, you need to just get a bow and, and, and start flinging some arrows and have fun. Um, and as far as tuning this stuff goes and how tuning and like your shooting technique kind of play off of one another, you can get a bow and arrow that's roughly matched and that's you don't need to like worry about like having it perfectly tuned. Uh, it'll shoot just fine, and you can group arrows. And then once you start dialing in your form and getting your alignment and your and your consistency built up, then you can start uh, thinking about you know really trying to tune that bow uh, so that you're getting perfect arrow flight. Okay. Yep. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know for me, Jim, like I'm taking a lot of these shots here and I've got so, you know, just inconsistency between the shots, right? But then Mm -hmm. also like some intentionally induced inconsistency because you're like, oh, okay, the string hit my arm that time. Well, I'll adjust this or I'll work on my grip on this shot and really think about that or, you know, you know, try and get your, but so like you said, you're changing things every time trying to figure out that, that sweet spot. And yeah. yeah. So like Clay said, you get it, get it tuned pretty good and then yeah, just go. Now how about that tuning process? So like I said, yeah, different arrows that we were running through these, you were also throughout the course of the tuning process, especially on mine, we were changing brace height and knock height. Mm-hmm. So essentially brace height being, well, I'll let you explain what those are because I'm not going to be able to explain it as well. But what, what things are you looking at and what are you changing when you're tuning one of these? Yeah, so the, the, one of the big things that we do is I have a, a test kit of arrows that has uh, different spined arrows, so different stiffness of the shaft, uh, all the way from, you know, wood arrows are a little bit different than the carbon arrows. Um, so for wood arrows, it'd be every, you know, everything from 40, 45 to on up to, I think it has some 80, 85 shafts in there, which is really stiff. And so for a carbon, that'd be like a, like a 600 spine all the way up to like a, What's the two two some two fifty sure three hundred something like that? Cool. I'm not nearly as familiar with carbon, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, li- like a flexible shaft versus a very stiff shaft, and so and they also have different tip weights on them. So I have some with one sixty grains, and I have some with one ninety grains, and so you just shoot a bunch of arrows through there and see what flies out of that bow with that shooter the best. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you're not going to get something that's perfect if you don't have your form dialed in. But you can get close enough to get it pretty well matched. Uh, and, you know, kind of in conjunction with that, you're, you're looking at your brace height, which is the measurement from your string to the deepest part of your handle. And it, you don't want it to be too high because then you have more stress on the bow. And this is, you know, something that's specific to wooden bows. It's just more, it's harder on the bow because it's being held into that uh, yeah. tighter tighter um, radius even just at rest yep and then you also have a less efficient bow on the other end of that spectrum if you have if your brace height is too low uh, it can create issues with tuning it can cause things uh, you know issues with wrist slap things like that so you got to find somewhere in the middle that you get a decent tuned arrow you don't you're not slapping yourself every time and then you need to worry about your brit your knock height so how far above your rest, your your actual arrow knock knock point on your string is placed, and we were playing around with that a little bit yesterday, trying to get like good level flight. So you want to try to avoid a knock high flight or a knock low flight. You want that thing coming off there uh, nice and flat, and so you can you can mess around with that to to try and find that mm-hmm. that, that perfect flight there off there off Mark, the shelf. Marks took like three shots and we already found an arrow combination and tip combination that shot like a dart. Yeah. And then mine we were fiddling around with a lot and we ended up raising the brace height up quite a bit by in in order to raise the brace height we were twisting the string more. Yeah. Um so we'd unstring it, twist the string more and put it back on and we were changing that knock height around a little bit, and it seemed like we got something that's pretty good. Luckily, Mark and I actually shoot the same arrow and uh, and tip setup, yeah. which is nice. We can bum each other's arrows. Although yeah. I know Mark doesn't like people to touch his arrows, so I probably <laughs> won't. Very, very touchy. About no, that. yeah, no touchy, Jim. So, but that was uh, that was pretty cool. And, and I, both Mark and I asked, I think at least, if not multiple times, at least once. Well, Clay, why don't you just shoot this thing? Then, then you can you'll take out all the errors that we're putting in, then we'll we'll see how the arrow flies through. We'll know exactly what it's supposed to shoot. But you said it doesn't really work like that. No, it's it, it really depends on the shooter and the bow, like that that pair. You know, I can't tune your bow. I can tune it to me, but then when you pick it up, it's it's probably going to shoot differently. Hmm. And you know, to add to that, these bows in particular are it was carved out of a twisty crooked hunk of wood and so every one of these bows is a little bit different and so sometimes it can be a little bit different difficult to find fine tune those things perfectly because you got to fiddle with all these little different things because that is an individual there's no other bow in like that in the world sure but if you fiddle with it enough you can find something that that'll fly absolutely perfectly out of that thing for you, like, let's say you made three bows, which I'm sure you've made three bows in your life, but you had three bows and they're, they're essentially set up for you. Yeah. 
would they be close enough? Like you said, they're all made out of different trees, possibly multiple trees. If you've got, you know, a two piece, would they all shoot about the same or would you have to get used to each one a little bit as well? They all, I can, I can pick up my, you know, I can shoot this bow and then I can pick up one of my other bows. That's a similar weight and they'll shoot pretty doggone close, Mm -hmm. close enough that I'd feel good hunting with them. You know, big game anyway. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Man, we were talking about tuning, and it, it had me thinking about something else that I'm trying to remember on. But uh, I feel like I had a good one too, Jim. That I lost, it flew away. Oh, you know what? It happens, doesn't it? Gotta start <laughs> keeping a notepad, man. I know we should. It's hard to do though when we're on these sweet stave masters. <laughs> They're so comfy. I think that's the problem: is we're too comfortable. We got foot rests. We got these boat chairs to sit back in with the with the padding. I can, I can find a rasp around here somewhere you can sit on. <laughs> yeah, <that makes> sense. <laughs> Boy, I tell you what, it'd be the most uh, it'd be the most on point interview. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, tuning these things though has been fun. Then, like we said, we went out, we did some stump shooting today. And uh, which is kind of a misnomer. The, 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 let's let's the, talk about the, the term misnomer stump, of stump shooting because I've I've heard it all my life. But we, it's like I said, a little bit of a misnomer. Probably a term, possibly a term made up by arrow manufacturers, <laughs> trying to have people bust up some arrows so they can sell some more. But you kind of gave you kind of talked about it in a, in a different way. So what, although commonly we referred to as stump shooting, maybe not what you want to be doing, Clay. If you have a nice hardwood forest where there's some like really nice rotted soft stumps those things are are perfect to shoot at but i don't have that here so we just walk through the fields and find some dried up cow patties and use those (laughs) yeah so it doesn't have to be a stump mark did manage to find one that was semi-green though and coat an arrow with some nice cow (laughs) yeah you prefer a uh a dry a fully dry cow fully dry fully dry but, but, I mean, we were shooting at thistles, you know, oh, sticks, yeah. cow patties. Pretty much anything that catches of dirt. your eye. Yeah. yeah. A wide variety. But ton of fun is like the most fun walk you could ever think of taking through a pasture. And, uh, yeah, you just walk around, you find stuff, you try and shoot at it. We were doing little ranging, guessing games where we had a rangefinder with us trying to estimate what distance we thought something was at. Got a little bit better as time went on, but you know it's that that can be difficult. But that's that's a skill that's nice to have when you're out in the woods or wherever you're at, because sometimes stuff happens quick. You got to be able to know what distance it's at. Well, and we all started with one arrow and ended with one arrow. With one arrow, yeah. So it's like the cheapest fun that you can have too. I mean, of of course, you got to get the bow and you got to get the arrow and stuff, but otherwise, you don't need anything else. You just go out and you just shoot at whatever you see, and it. I mean, it makes for aside from if you got like a really nice three D course set up it makes for some realistic ish unless you're doing long bombs like we were just for that heck of it but makes for some realistic type scenarios shots angles you know we put ourselves in uh, at one point a tight position around a branch trying to shoot between a couple of branches at at a cow pie that was approximately at turkey distance but stuff like that it, it it was pretty fun and i feel like i got a lot better doing it than I would be if I was just kind of standing in the same spot over and over, shooting at a hay bale with a target on it, you know. It just felt more natural. Well, it's so much easier to, like you're talking about a 3D course, which is excellent practice, and like, you know, the life-like animals, you know, we're talking about sight pictures and getting used to that and aiming. I mean, that's definitely like a, a huge thing that, you know, is great to do. But, I mean, you could change the course at will, like super fast, like, oh, I'm going to pick that out instead, or we'll go over here. Uh, and Clay, you were saying there's kind of like a, like people do almost like a, a golf type. Oh yeah, yeah, archery golf. It's, it's great fun when you get a couple of guys together and you know you got your long shots, so you can get sail it in somewhere close, and then you just whoever can get to hit the target in the fewest number of arrows, they get that hole. But Heck yeah, uh, a lot some similarities in golf too. I'm not a great golfer, Jim. I don't know if you knew <laughs> that, but um. Like when you're shoot, like when, even when you're not a good golfer, like you 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 finally like get that swing and connect, and you're like, oh my gosh, that was perfect, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, you're analyzing, okay, so what was different about that shot? What was the, you know, okay, how was I holding this? That I feel the same way when I'm shooting this bow. It's like, oh, okay, that arrow flight was better. Okay, so what happened that time? Or you know, that, my release felt good. So what was I doing different? Or I felt more aligned. Or I don't know. There's there's a lot to analyze, and I think that that is part of the fun of it. And like we said, a not like golf thing though is, like I said, we started with one arrow and 
ended with one arrow, and I never <laughs> start and end with the same golf ball. I thought you were going to say a not golf-like thing is that it was like super fun. <laughs> <laughs> somebody just thought. like somebody just rage quit right there and <laughs> threw their radio out the car. Um, but <laughs> but uh, Mark, you brought up earlier today. I noticed you didn't have your arm guard on. Mm-hmm. You're wearing a sweatshirt, so that kind of helped out. Yep. But Clay, the arm guards, finger tabs, stuff like that, some of the equipment that goes around the bows. I know you don't really seem to use an arm guard a lot. I think you you do use finger tabs. What's uh, I feel like arm guard for certain is fairly self-explanatory, but explain those what they're used for, why one might use them versus not use them. Well, and I don't use an arm guard because I don't have a tendency to the string doesn't have a tendency to hit my arm just the way that I grip my bow. But a lot of people do, just the way they, they grip their bow, and, and some very good shooters, uh, a lot of very good shooters are, are you know will have an arm guard. But like I said, I just don't use one. I do use a finger tab. Uh, I shoot three under. Uh, a glove is also another option, and a lot of people shoot gloves. But a finger tab, for me, is something that, you know, I it, it's easy. I can stick it in my pocket. Uh, I can make them myself. Uh, I've got some slick cordovan leather, which is like a, a horsehide leather. It's very, very slick uh, that I make my tabs out of, um, and it just works works good. But that just simply guards your, you know, protects your fingers because these things, you know, if you're shooting a fifty or sixty pound bow, it's rough on bare fingers. It'll mm-hmm. eat you up. Yeah. Uh, what, what about you know you're talking about gloves? Um, it was actually pretty chilly here this morning. Yeah. I think you guys even had a little bit of a frost. Yeah, there was a light frost this morning. Yeah, sorry, we brought it down with us. I told you. I know. Can you do? (laughs) When I first shot this morning, my hands were cold. And I was like, ooh, that had a little, even with the uh, the finger tab, had a little bit more zip to it, uh, you know, as far as uh, in the fingertips there. A little bite to the bone. Mm -hmm. Do you, on a cold weather hunt, do you wear gloves, not wear a glove? How How do you handle that? I might have like a thin wool, like a glove liner on my bow hand. Uh-huh. Uh, but on my string hand, I don't have anything except for my shooting tab. Okay. Savage. Um, and I, you know, so I keep my hands in my pockets a lot until I'm absolutely ready to shoot. But there's those times, you know, when you're, you've got an animal there and he's, you're having to wait. And so, yeah, it can get kind of tough when you're single digits waiting on an animal to step into the right position so that you can shoot. Oof. And then you said you shoot, so you shoot three under. Yep. That's that's describing your index, your middle, and your ring finger being oh. underneath the yep. knock mm-hmm. of the arrow on the string. Like the old classic way I remember seeing on TV before I started shooting traditional bow that I thought I would end up shooting like was uh, split finger, right? Yeah, yeah. Where that index finger goes above the knock, and the other two are below it. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between them? Any preference? I guess you have a preference, but why? Yeah, I, so I shot split finger uh, for a long time because, like you said, that's that's all I ever saw people doing, um, and so I just thought that's the way that we were supposed to do it. The reason that I switched, or I actually switched when I started aiming, uh, because by shooting three under, the arrow, I can get the arrow closer underneath my eye, okay. oh. and so that helps with aiming. Got it. Yeah. yeah, I think you mentioned you. I tried split finger once. You said your your hold under is going to be a little bit lower. Oh yeah, a lot lower actually. Okay, and so that's that that unless you try it, it might not make perfect sense. But when you when you uh, shoot split finger, you're basically lowering your knock, which increases your launching. Like it puts the arrow at a, at a tilt upward. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And so to compensate for that, you have to then move your bow down, which ends up with a very large gap if you're gap shooting. Got yeah, it. it's like starting out with just like a higher trajectory. Yeah, your launch angle's like pointed up like this. So so to hit something, you actually have to like lower your bow down. Mm-hmm. And with that, you know, with the finger tab and three under, when I started out, I was actually running my fingers all the way up mm-hmm. to the knock of the arrow. But you actually, uh, I guess, corrected that for me and are just a little bit below that. So you're not necessarily putting any, you know, I guess, upward finger pressure on the knock. Yeah. You know, you can slide your finger all the way up to the knock. But personally, I found it to be a little bit more forgiving, a little bit more accurate to slide your finger just a little bit so that you're not putting any pressure on that arrow knock. Okay. I don't know why that is, but it must have something to do with, uh, you know, just an inconsistent pressure on the arrow when you're when you're drawing when your fingers right up against that thing yeah so how should guys like us go back <laughs> home and practice 
like what's should we I mean should we just be I'm definitely going to go around stump shooting a lot. Yeah. But I mean is that is that just the best form of practice there is or or should we be doing something where we're doing are there like some drills or something that you like to do that are really good for getting yourself just in the right mindset, the right technique, right cons- level of consistency? Yeah, well I mean stump shooting is is great fun, but like if you are serious about improving your form yeah um, i want to shoot a deer like multiple yes like getting your like getting good alignment filming yourself is it's great because you can see exactly what you're doing and there's a couple of angles that you can use to to show what you're doing you know one straight behind you so that you can see the alignment of your elbow and another really good angle is if you can get a camera pointed straight down on top of you. Oh. Because that'll show the alignment from your bow, through your bow arm, through your shoulders, to your back, to your drawing elbow. And ideally, you want a, 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 per, you want a triangle. You want that, this line from this shoulder, or yeah, from your bow arm through your shoulder, you want that to be a straight line. You're going to have a little bit of a pivot point, a little bit of an angle right here. Because you can't draw all the way back and get perfect alignment because your string's going to go try to go through your chest. You have no clearance. Right. And so you have to tilt this elbow out a little bit. And then the other leg of that triangle is your forearm running straight down through that arrow. Got it. So, yeah, you don't want to add in any other angles yeah. anywhere else. And a big thing, Mark, that you need to work on is you create another angle right here at your drawing hand. So you're... you're oh, sure. Yeah. Like it's kind of like coming out here and then back in. Yeah, so your your arrow's coming this way, and then your your forearm is at an angle to that. So ideally, that would be in line with your arrow, and just simply through rotating around your body, that's how you get that arrow in close to your face and under your eye. Mm. That's probably happening because you're bringing that bicep in yep. mm-hmm. a fair amount. Yeah, That's the only way to really do it is to engage that bicep because you're drawing like this and your elbow is pointed out that way instead of back the way it needs to be. Yeah. Gotcha. I found myself doing a lot of collapsing, like I wasn't getting fully aligned. I was kind of bringing it back here and then just kind of stopping just short, which then was sending a lot of stuff to the right, I found. Yeah. The, f- the filming yourself thing was the thing that I wanted to touch on. So thank you, Clay. We got that. We was found the, it. That was, that was the thing that I, that I forgot. Now, and then honestly... Must have sat on a rasp. You know, admittedly with the bow that we built here which i'm in it's it's amazing i'm 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 super proud of this bow and and the work that i was able to put into it well obviously with a lot of help from clay so like this is an amazing thing but i think i'm a little bit overboat with this one yeah. right now so what about you know we're talking about form and consistent consistency is it a good idea for folks to start off with a lower poundage bow so they can kind of get those things nailed down and then hopefully eventually get get here Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest problems, uh, especially with guys coming from the compound world is because they're used to shooting a 60 pound compound. So they say, well, you know, they think they should be able to shoot a 60 pound or even a 50 pound recurve or longbow and they can shoot it. But when you're trying to figure out your form and you're shooting a heavy bow like that, you're, you, a lot of times you're struggling against the bow just to get it to full draw, and that's it makes it difficult to find that the, the the way that good form feels. And so what I, and it's not always practical to get a bow just to practice with, but if you can, and a lot of times you can find cheap recurves, you know, if you can get a thirty or a thirty-five pound bow, that is absolutely perfect for working on your form because you can get that thing back. You can adjust things. You can fiddle with it at full draw. You can hold it back. Yeah. You can try out different anchor points. You know, you can try all kinds of different things, and you can shoot it for a long time. So if you can, I'd say definitely get a lightweight bow, and that you're you're going to be so far ahead uh, if you do that. It would be nice to have the like, you know. Even so, we're keeping up. We're shooting it, but like getting fatigued. Mm-hmm. And then you get frustrated, and you want to keep shooting, but you shouldn't because you're fatigued. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, having a lighter bow would be nice in that regard, for well, sure. I, well, I could even tell. I mean, you guys are definitely, I think, you know, somewhat similar bows, but I, at least from what I could tell, you guys were getting a lot more velocity out of your arrows than I was, you know. Hmm. Um, 
And so I think, you know, just like you said, just getting that bow back all the way back in that proper form, I think that's going to be my biggest thing to work on. I do have at my house, Jim, a, uh, you know, you talk about getting a bow for not that much money. I've got an old bear uh, recurve laminate bow, and I think it's a 40. It's oh, a 40 perfect. pound. Yeah, that'll so do. I think I'll be... F- Fiddling with that, but this is this should, is where I'm trying to get. We should just have some of those uh, for in, for the time being, just at work. Yeah, just set up some targets. Just bring it in right around the office. Sounds like a l- good lunch break activity. Oh heck yeah! <laughs> well, we've got lunches like, planned. How many for lunches the... have these guys had today? <laughs> or, or brunch? You know, whatever, yeah, exactly. <laughs> lunch lunch ran a, a little long today. Uh, <laughs> Boy, and not to be sort of all over the place. I just there's so much to talk about. I'm trying to hit it, but. Clay, I mean, obviously, we're building these bows. I mean, we want to go hunting with them. You hunt with them all the time. Some of the some of the uniqueness of these bows is how you can use them in a hunting situation. I mean, first off, let, let's talk about you like to build these things tough and their tools. You were mentioning they're very multi-purpose. You use yours as a uh, and, and I'm sure to the compound guys out there listening. I know at least Mark, who's a little bit a little bit finicky with his equipment. <laughs> You use yours as a walking stick. Walking that, that, stick. That uh, might make people an, cringe. An arrow rake, a monopod. Uh, use it for all sorts of different things. Yeah, stick your binos on top. Yeah. It, they sit almost... Snakes per- water. Yeah, snakes water. For a guy our height, we're all pretty similar height, they sit almost perfectly when you stand them up unstrung. Or even, no, when they That's are strung. strung yeah. When they are strung up, perfect height for a monopod for binos. You stick the hinge right in on the top of the knock and glass for, glass for a while. Yeah. Off you go. Off you go. What about, because Jim and I, like, we want to hunt with these things. Like, that's my ultimate goal to, like, get good at shooting it, you know, be consistent enough that I feel like I've got, you know, at least somewhat of a decent, effective range. What are some things for people to be thinking about, like, I want to hunt with, like, a, recur- a recurve or a self-bow or something like that? Get used to the idea that you're not going to, you're not going to fill as many tags, for one thing, you know, if you if you are comfortable shooting a whitetail at 35 or 40 yards with a compound, you know, you might cut that distance in half. And you think about your time in the woods, like how many deer do you have within 40 yards versus how many do you have within 20? I mean, there's a lot more opportunities at those longer ranges just because yep. your probability of getting close is, is much more. But, I mean, the, 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 there's some advantages too. You know, they're light. They're lightweight. They don't weigh much. Oh, my they're, gosh, yeah. They're incredibly simple. You know, if uh, I usually carry an extra bowstring in my pack. I've never had to use one. But, you know, let's say you bring a bring a broadhead out of your uh, out of your quiver and you get a little careless and cut a bowstring. Well, you do that on a compound and your hunt's over. Right. You're going back to town. Uh, with one of these things, you just pull another bowstring out and away you go. Yeah, you could just... Yeah, string it in the field. I like you had a you have your bow square thing, yep. which you can just stick on the string. Make sure your brace height and your knock height are right, and you're off to the races. Yeah, and, and you don't even really have to have that. You ha- you set your uh, you set your knock height beforehand, mm-hmm. and then uh, if you have a mark on your arrow that corresponds with a mark on your bow riser, that's that's how you get your brace height. Then you don't even have to have the bow square. Yep. How about that? And the bow square only weighed like two ounces, anyways. That is pretty slick. I like the I like the fact that uh, also he's talking about advantages. Positional shooting is is very natural with these. Yeah. There's not a whole lot that changes or gets really weird. You know, like if you're Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're shooting a compound, do you have to consider the fact that obviously you're you're accounting for drop with your slider and these pins and all that stuff? So if you changed your angle, you've effectively it's like changing the angle of shooting a, a rifle scope. You know, if you have your rifle super candid, you're changing the optic over bore height, kind of. Like, can you shoot a compound like super sideways or? I mean, I don't think so. I've never tried it. I mean, I've shot from you know from sitting and kneeling and things like that, but I think I'm always very vertical, I guess, or as vertical as I as I can be in those positions. Yeah. These make it a lot more able to get a little more sideways, get under stuff mm-hmm. or over something or whatever and and it ultimately doesn't change when you're full draw, you can still use that arrow exactly how you're using it if you're more straight up and down, right? Yeah. Yeah. When I like if I get super like I I did a video, I don't know, 2 years ago uh where I was showing like uh how you could actually 
you, you can make shots with these that you can't make with a compound. You can shoot over things because of the trajectory, and mm-hmm. you can shoot under things. Like uh, I had a couple of hay bales stacked up, and I was actually shooting on through a gap that was like this big, you know, shooting underneath that, and the bow's completely, you know, laid flat on the ground almost, just a few inches from the ground. Like when you really tilt it over heavy like that, like I have to change my anchor point. I have to move to the side of my eye because in my eye, there's no way to get my eye over the top of the arrow. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to do that. You could just uh, you can realize that your you know your eyes now in a plane like this and just make those adjustments to the target. Okay, and but that's you, such an extreme scenario. Too. Oh yeah, I mean you're. I was doing it just for the video. Right, yeah. a little proof of concept. Yeah. Got it. But yeah, when we were shooting out of that little chair there between those branches at our turkey cow pie, then you can get a little get a little angle on it. You can get a little move around somewhat, and ultimately the shot ended up being. I mean, I just once once was in position, just visualized it as though I was standing up, comfortable mm-hmm. as could be. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, I'll have to look back at the video on that and see if I kind of subconsciously made some adjustments there. I don't know. It's fun. It was fun. It was a ton of fun. It's definitely, you know, you shoot and you just want to keep shooting or like you miss and so you want to try it again and I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I mentioned that, uh, you know, you're probably not going to fill as many tags with these things just because it's it's not as easy to get that close, you know, as it is to, to you know, get to within 40 or 50 yards of an animal. But... You know, one of the the big things that people overlook is the sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. When you can, you know, even just just going traditional with a with a laminated longbow or a recurve, uh, the sense of accomplishment that you get when everything's comes together. You know, you put in the work, you put in the time, not only to be able to shoot your bow, but to be able to get that close to the animal. And when things come together, it's truly amazing. But when you can, you know, take it to this level and go out into the woods chop down a tree, make a bow, learn to shoot that bow, and then go take an animal with that, that's that's pretty freaking awesome. It's amazing. It is. I mean, getting getting any animal with whatever, you know, weapon you choose is always, like, in my opinion, like, super fulfilling, and there's so much to it. But, I guess I'll throw a butt in there. Like, you know, I'll, I'll hunt Wisconsin, and I'll, like, I'll pass those with my compound, you know, waiting for the big buck, Jim. With this thing, I'd be like, if I oh, yeah. killed a doe, like oh, yeah. I'd be cloud nine. And just, I think it just goes to show like how contextual things are as far as, like you said, that level of accomplishment. And that'd be, I mean, it's always a big deal, but that'd be a big deal. And mm-hmm. that that's that's a great point. Like I don't I don't do a lot of rifle hunting, and I, I'm not I've never been a, a big trophy hunter, but I understand like why people that hunt with compounds and rifles, like why they wait for those big bucks, you know, you know, if they were just to shoot the first animal that comes out, they'd be, their hunting season would be over or or whatever their their tag would be burned. But the little bit that I've done of, you know, hunting like that, it's like, you never, you very rarely get the feeling like now I'm hunting, like, because you don't ever see that animal, right? He's very rare. Like, uh, if you're hunting a 160 inch buck, the odds of seeing that animal and then like being actually pursuing that animal is very rare, right? Mm-hmm. But with this, like you said, with the does, it elevates every animal to like trophy status. And so a spike or a doe whitetail or something like that, you see those things all the time. And so it's like I'm I'm more actively hunting more often. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? No, it's yeah. like it's always on. Oh, yeah. Like, every time it's like, well, this could be my only shot. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I love like that. I love all of hunting, but it's like that part where it's like that animal right there. Yeah. It's game on. Yeah. I'm trying to get that one. I mean, mm-hmm. for lack of a better, like, this is going to sound, whatever, however, it's, it's this is how it's going to sound because this is how it's going to come out. But like, <laughs> when you get in, when you, whether it's rifle or whatever, like there is like a point where you're like, you get into kill mode yeah, and like, like you said, like you are hunting, like it is on. And like you said, Clay, you're getting into that mode, at least for me right now, every time I see a legal animal. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. That seems cool. Yeah, Absolutely. it is cool. 
<laughs> and I'm not a big don't get don't get me wrong. I'm not a big passer of animals. Like I'm I'm definitely not to that point. Like, but you know, I, it does happen. You, you know. can you can try your absolute best to kill every legal animal you see, and still get to hunt a lot. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. There's a lot of truth to that. Gosh, it, it, it does remind me of going back to that Arizona hunt on that coos when I stalked that one in with my traditional bow and got as close as I did to it. And even though I missed, you know, I just still the fact of getting as close as I did to one of those things was pretty pretty off the charts. I mean, I was over the moon about that. But I remember thinking like, I mean, had I have hit that thing, I'd have been doing backflips, cartwheels through the cactus, everything. Wouldn't have even cared. And, uh, it's just, it, it was funny cause then I go back and I talk to some people, I'm, I'm like saying everything about how crazy that hunt was, how that stock was. And some people be like, Oh, w- was it a pretty big one? And I'm like, doesn't oh, matter. I literally, <laughs> did, it never <laughs> even occurred to me the size. I knew it had antlers on it cause that was what I could hunt, but I, the rest never even thought about it. And I had to go back and think, I'd be like, uh, I don't know. I mean, it had a, had a rack on top. There's a type of person that will get that and then there's a type of person that just will never understand that yeah you know? i can't blame them i don't know i mean it's just what what they're used to they probably heard it too a bunch of times like shoot something or whatever and it's how, how big was it it's yeah. like I, mean, I guess that just is what it is I don't, I don't have an issue with people trying to hunt big animals but man i i was stoked uh even on that it definitely it definitely takes that like on off yes no switch and and uh as with the bow it just simplifies things yeah yeah Man, the idea of going out, though, chopping something down yourself in the woods, making something out of it, and then returning to the woods to then go harvest something is, is pretty wild. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a huge sense of accomplishment. Mark, it sounds to me like um, this might not even be your last bow. You're already talking about making other bows, hickory bows, elm bows. I mean, I'm 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 a little bit... You're gonna get one. I'm of these a little things. bit inspired, so we'll see. We'll see what uh, what time allows, Jim. But I mean, Clay, definitely. I mean, this has been an absolutely amazing experience. Clay, thank you for spending so much time with us, you know, and and going through this process with us, and helping us, and showing us so many things, and helping us learn to shoot these things. Uh, I can probably get better at uh, stringing and unstringing. Uh, I'll just get it out there. I I, I I hit myself in the face yesterday. It may be on video. I just I know Jim's not going to let it n- not see the light of day. So I'm just going to I'm just going to rip the bandaid off myself. Wow. Uh, you can probably keep your eyes peeled for that. Everybody. We've really reached like a new point, huh? I, I gave up, Jim, because I know you'll just do it. Oh, maybe now we won't do it. Maybe now the fun's gone. <laughs> but we uh, finally figured it out. But yeah, I mean, I think that's you know part of the challenge and and just this whole process it just it really is so cool and and like we talked about earlier like i mean we actually did a lot of this process right but you know the finer points probably the more critical points you know clay took the reins which yeah, i was i no, was happy for i, I no turn back points. only thing that i did was was if, if you started to get off track a little bit i just maybe made a few scrapes and kind of got you back between the lines and away you went i i did very very little on those bows, but uh, which makes him feel so much better. It does. It's I love, cool, you I know. Love mine. And I, I, you know, I'm I'm definitely uh, probably a little bit more uh, tentative than you, Jim. When it comes to something like this, you're generally a little bit more <laughs> well, more full send. Uh, <laughs> got me in a got me in a hairy situation a time or two. But uh, yeah, yeah, super cool. And yeah, just was asking Clay earlier. I mean, we talked about different woods and different woods that you know grow different places. And I think we got a fair amount of hickory in our yeah. area, which sounds like you can make a pretty good bow. Uh, I think we covered earlier that it sounds like that hickory you can dry out a lot quicker yeah. than Osage, yeah. and, and so kind of you know get through that process and some some intricacies with that type of wood that are that differ from the Osage, but. Yeah, no, Jim, I I have been thinking about where I, uh, you know, fit one of these in the garage and, you know. You can make it happen. We can make it happen. We can make, you can make anything happen, so. It makes, uh, I, I like to hear that when, when somebody's going to go home and, and use what they learn to, to start making their own bows. But you'll learn, I like, you'll go home and you'll get started on your, the first one you do by yourself and you'll be like, what? How, what was what oh, was he wait. saying? What how I Clay's not here do to this. Clay's not here to save me. <laughs> but you just go for it, just, and you'll learn. Yeah, you know, and this one, like I really like. I mean, I guess you'd always care, right? But like, I really cared about this one. I mean, I I, I, I want like I wanted to leave this 
experience with a bow that like Clay would be proud of, you know? And, uh, but I feel like with one that I was just doing myself, I'd be less afraid. Well, and also I wanted to have a, a bow to finish up this pod venture. I didn't want to, you know, I'd be like, well, mine broke. Well, <laughs> you didn't want to boats, um, boats and bow this one. Yeah. I didn't want to boats and bows this one, but like with the other one, like, I think I'd be like, well, I'm just going to do this and see how that goes, you know? Um, yeah. and if, you know, whatever happens, happens. Hopefully it doesn't explode in your face. Well, both of you did a did a very good job. Ended up with some pr- pretty nice bows. No, these, they're, I mean, they're they're thank spectacular. You. So, yes, thank you, Clay, very much. That's cool. Absolutely. Self bows. Everybody make you one. Yep. And Try it. if you're interested or have, you know, I mean, so many questions or things that we've talked about, Clay, I mean, you've you've covered on your, on your YouTube channel, tons of great content there. So, yeah, yep. definitely don't hesitate to jump over there. And uh, if you are so inspired. Absolutely. Right on. Clay, anything else to close it out? Uh, not that I can think of. Had a good time having you guys here. It's time to go uh, see if we can catch a shark. Oh, yeah. We'll try and do that, too. We'll <laughs> let you guys know if we do that. If you don't hear anything, <laughs> though, we didn't, or we got eaten by a great white. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you hear from us. Yes. Cool. So with that said, we will bid yet another pod venture adieu. As usual, comment on the YouTube videos in the comment section. Also check out, we're going to have a whole bunch of video going along with this, the camera guy Cooper shot. So you're going to want to check that out. Do the whole like, subscribe thing. You know, everybody's saying it these days on YouTube, so I'll say it. And uh, yeah, let us know if you're going to build a self-bow or if you have built one. Send us some pictures. I don't know. Do all that sort of thing. Thank you, as usual, for watching and listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you can take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.